that today's message is going to be about serving, do you have a generally positive or negative feeling about it? I am so encouraged by that response. You know, I think that there are some that maybe, I guess, go to other churches that would uh, think that a message on serving was preparing you for a guilt-ridden, you better get out there and get going and get apart or, uh, you know, something bad's going to happen to you. Um, and I want you to know that it's not my goal today to make you feel bad if you're not serving. It's not to lay guilt on anybody to motivate you to serve because I have surmised in my many years of ministry that it doesn't work anyway. So we're just going to look at Scripture. How's that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that means you're more on the hook than you would have been the other way, okay? <laughs> Just so you know, okay? Just so you know. I'm going to give you four points today from the New Testament and ask the Holy Spirit to speak very personally to you, very personally to me. Um, one other thing before we start at looking at the Scripture, I, I want you to know that in my 10 or 11 years now, a part of this church, I have seen so many different examples of servanthood in this church. Uh, I've seen people who have modeled for me what a real servant looks like, how a real servant acts, a real servant's heart. There are so many people in this church who are willing to do whatever without any kind of reward. People who love to just... Uh, to serve behind the scenes so that they have the connection with God and the Holy Spirit in their heart, whether anybody ever knows what they did. I can't even begin to list all the ways in which people around here serve both this body and the needs outside of this body in our community. And so the question is, we have, we have a lot of serving going on in the church. Can we do more? Is there, is there a higher... Uh, plateau? Is there a next step, next level that we can go to when it comes to serving the kingdom of God and serving our Lord Jesus? And that's where I want us to start. Let's look at Ephesians, the fourth chapter, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. There's just so much packed into Ephesians 4, and I'm going to take three verses right out of the middle of it. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. It says this, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness in Christ, fullness of Christ. It's important for us to know that the he, in verse 11, it is he who gave some to be apostles, pastors, whatever. The he is Jesus himself. If you read up further in Ephesians 4 beforehand, you'll realize that this is Jesus who has given these five callings, these five special callings of what we would consider leadership in the church. And he's given them for a specific purpose to the church. And they are... Uh, there's a number of points that can be made from these three verses, and I'm just going to make them really quick, okay? The first, the role of leaders from this verse is to do what? 
Jesus gives leadership in the church. He gives these special callings of pastors and evangelists and prophets, apostles, teachers. He gives it to the church to do what? To equip. To equip for service. The saints. Aren't you glad you're a saint today? <laughs> in other words, there's leadership given to the church to equip the saints, the holy ones, you, for works of service. You might think, well, I thought pastors and evangelists and teachers, apostles, prophets, I thought those were the people that were the ministers. You see, another point is that the only way for the body to be built up and to attain unity, according to this passage, is for every person to be serving. How's that? Well, just think about it. If everybody's got a, a, some stake in this and they're all participating in it and they're all using the gifts that God's given to them and their abilities and they find their place of calling and fulfillment and they're working together, there is this common purpose that just kind of takes shape within the church. Nobody's in it for themselves. We're all in it to see this thing happen. Can you imagine a football team where half the people were uh, concerned about this being good for them? Instead of good for the team. They didn't care to them. It didn't matter if they won or lost. They just wanted to be the star. It also says that we know Jesus. We come to the full knowledge of Christ when we're serving. It says that we become mature. We grow in our faith. We're not just continually taking in and being served. We're constantly being a part. We're, we're using the gifts that God has given to us. We're expressing those. There's fulfillment and there is maturity that comes to the body. If you read on in that passage, it will tell you that the, it, this serving, this equipping, this activity of the church keeps you doctrinally sound. It says that without this, if you're just coming to sit and listen, you can be listening and be tossed about like the wind, it says. It also says that together we all grow up into him who is Christ the head. Think about that for a minute. It takes all of us for the church to grow up into him, Christ, who is the head. It's when every one of us is actively a part. In other words, when you look at this passage of Scripture, I think a lot is riding on us getting this right. <laughs> a lot. I want you to think about it this way. You get, you get a new job. And often you go through a period of training on your new job, right? And they want you to know how to do things. They want you to know how this works, how that works. Don't do that. Do this. Can you imagine taking a job and a year later you're still training? And, and after a while, you realize that all you're ever going to do on this job is to just train. You never get to actually work. You just, and use the training that you've received. It's like being in college the rest of your life. Some of you would probably like that, wouldn't you? Yeah. In other words, there's, there's not a sense of responsibility. Uh, it's just, I just need to show up for training every day. Production is not any part of the equation. I just show up and be trained and trained and trained and trained. But in so many ways, that's what's happened to the church, I think. Now, don't get me wrong when I say this, but I think that we have, we're training people to death. And training has a goal. Works of service. 
ministry. Can you imagine what church would look like if every person were trained doing works of service, operating in their area of gift, functioning within the body of Christ, intermingling my gift with your gift, getting a collection of gifts together, being able to powerfully present Christ in his fullness through the combined giftedness of the body of Christ. Can we have a vision for what that looks like? It says there will be unity. It says we'll know Christ in a deeper way that you can't get any other way. It says we'll have a maturity that you can't get any other way. Point one, serving is the result of discipleship. It's the goal of discipleship. We train people in God's word so that God's word can be expressed in their life. The training of God's word is not to just make someone smarter. It's to equip. In Matthew 24 and 25... Jesus gives what is known as the Olivet Discourse, where he he talks about the end of times, and you've heard me talk about this recently. But in that passage of Scripture, those two chapters, he he gives some stories in there, but he also brings us to a point of of what it's going to look like on Judgment Day. Because he wants his church to be prepared. And so as he comes to the close of that discourse in chapter 25 of Matthew, he talks about this judgment day when we're all going to be standing before him. And I want to read this chunk of scripture. It's found in Matthew 25, 32. It's probably familiar to many of you. But there's some key things that we need to learn when it comes to serving here. Matthew 25, starting with verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will say to him and answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or, and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And then he'll say this to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me. And naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous 
into eternal life. And I have to tell you that I think this is one of the most misinterpreted passages in all of Scripture. This is not saying that serving the needs of the poor gets you into heaven. It's not some scripture to be used to guilt people into getting out there and doing more. It's saying something far deeper than that. And I think the key to understanding this passage is in the response of the righteous. Because listen to what the righteous say when Jesus says, this is all the things that you did. They said, when did we see you hungry, Jesus? Oh, I didn't. I never saw you thirsty or sick or imprisoned. In other words, were the righteous serving others because they knew it would gain them favor with Christ? Uh Uh-uh. They probably didn't even know Jesus was looking. (laughs) They served why? It's because... With Jesus, you can't help it. With Jesus, you can't help it. Uh, What has Jesus done for me? What, What does Jesus mean to me? I was alone with Jesus this morning and he was talking to me and he just told me of his care for me and that he knows what's going on and really, that's really all I needed to hear today. That he's aware. He's, he knows. He's with me. How could I not? How could I not? You know, the response of the wicked is also telling, isn't it? It's like, Jesus, we never saw you in need. Because if we had seen somebody as important as you in need, guess what we would have done? We would have stepped up to the plate. We would have served. Because you would have seen our service. The second point I make is that serving is the expression of Jesus in our lives. It's just... It is, beyond, it is beyond understanding how you can have an intimate connection with Jesus Christ, know Him and His love and His mercy and His grace, and not have a compelling, <laughs> a compelling nature to go out and be that to others. And to just say, I just am so glad this is for me and it's just for me and I'm just going to keep it to me. And I guess my, my challenge is that if there is, if there is not a compelling nature for you to go out and serve, the worst thing that you could do is to go out and serve. If there is not a compelling nature in you to go out and serve, then you need to retreat and come back and just get along with Jesus for a while. And the life of Christ, as he begins to open himself up to you, and you begin to expand upon your understanding of who he is, then all of a sudden something begins to take root. Oh, it's not about me. (laughs) Oh, I'm now aware of what the need is around me.
You may hear this scripture and feel overwhelmed. You may feel like, I don't do any of those things. And you just feel like you're just in the life right now. You're just trying to tread water. You're just trying to keep your head above water. You don't have time to serve. Maybe later in life and... Man, if I could just get on better ground financially, I wouldn't have to work so many hours. And serving is just going to have to wait. Well, then this may not be good news for you. (laughs) Because it just doesn't work that way. It just simply doesn't work that way. In fact, serving, giving your life to others... Giving your life to the mission of Christ is the fastest way out of your overwhelming situation. Getting your eyes off of self, onto the mission of Christ, getting your eyes onto the gifts that God has given you, use me, Lord, lifts you. It doesn't add to your problems. And so some people will read this passage in Matthew about giving and caring for the prisoners and all of that. And they'll read all of that and they'll go, aha, that's it, I found it. I'm going to start a prison ministry. Because I don't want Jesus saying that to me on Judgment Day. I'm going to start working with the homeless. I'm going to start volunteering down at a soup kitchen. Because I want to get into heaven. Well, then, now we've got to go to the other discourse of Christ back in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount is chock full of just great instruction on life. But here's how he comes down to the close of it. Matthew 7, verse 20. He says, So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's a difficult scripture, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, these people are saying, we did supernatural things for you. You can't have righteous, fruit-bearing ministry unless you have the righteousness of the life of Christ in you. Jesus is saying here that serving is not the goal, but rather doing the will of the Father is what it's all about. And we have to be careful in the church because if we're not careful, we just get people serving thinking we've done something good. But here Jesus is saying, know me and you will know the will of the Father. You'll know what you ought to be doing. Can you just imagine all the legalists on Judgment Day? Well, first of all, aren't you glad there's none of them in our church? (laughs) We're standing before Christ and they'll be listing all of their qualifications for entry, right? 
I walked the aisle when I was eight because my mom told me to. Prayed the prayer. I went to church as often as I probably could. Sorry about some of those. I tried hard, hard not to sin very much, but after all, hey, we're all humans. After I grew up, I taught Sunday school. Fifth grade boys, by the way. Every time the church had an outreach project, I tried to arrange my schedule to be there. You remember all this, don't you, Jesus? And what's he going to say? He said the most painful words. But I never knew you. I never knew you. And so I'm going to have to say, depart from me. I didn't know you. You didn't let me in. Maybe you were too busy to let me in. I don't know. I just am fearful that in the church today, we've made this life with Christ something different than what it really is. You see, there is not a path to heaven that bypasses an intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. There's not a plan B. There's not a checklist that if you come here enough Sundays and read your Bible enough and get smart enough and... Is he going to say to you, come in, I know you. I know you. We've been through a lot together, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Well, come on in, let's share. Share my joy. Third point is why you serve is more important than how you serve. Why do you do what you do for God? Is it so he'll think you're great? Or is it because the life of Christ in you would not let you do anything else? It's just, it's just you have to. You're just compelled. One last point. When you think of being a servant, you may think of, I mean, what do you think of when you're a servant? You know, you're, you have to stay out back. <laughs> you know, you, you don't get to stay in the big place with the master. You... Uh, you're there to help others. Uh, you're the least uh, or last. And those are some of the connotations that we have when we think of that word servant. In Matthew 23, Jesus talks about the Pharisees and how they like to be seen as righteous. And He says they even change their appearance and they change their faces and they, they lengthen their phylacteries and they... They make themselves all look so pious so that when they walk through the marketplace of the town, everybody says, oh, hi, rabbi. They love to hear that word, rabbi. They love to be known as the righteous ones. When people have a problem, they come to me because I have the spiritual answers for them. Jesus instructs his followers to live differently. He says this in verse 11 of Matthew 23. But the greatest among you 
shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. And whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. You know, there's a scene just a few chapters earlier in Matthew where the mother of two of the disciples comes to Jesus. You remember that, right? And she says, you know, Jesus, I'm just a mom. (laughs) I have these two boys. (laughs) They're obviously better than the rest of the ten. (laughs) So when you come into your kingdom, can you give them the prized seats? I mean, any mom would ask that, right? And he says, do you know what you're asking? (laughs) You don't, you don't know what you're asking. Are they willing to drink my cup? Are they willing to walk where I'm going to walk? And how did the other ten take to that request? They were indignant with the two. And Jesus closes the little conversation this way in Matthew twenty twenty five. He says, but Jesus called them all to himself and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and they, their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. So the last point is greatness is determined by serving. You want to be great? See, it's important important for us to understand this. God wants you to want to be great. If I asked that question, do you want to be great? You would say, well, that would be prideful. I don't want to be great. No. Jesus wants you to be great. He wants you to want to be great. That's why he gives you the pathway to greatness. If you want to be great, learn to be (laughs) the servant of all. I want you to want to be great. You see, humility, folks, is power. Humility is greatness. Pride is nothing more than weakness. Every time you exhibit pride, you're exhibiting weakness. Serving is greatness. So what's your response today to the Word of God? If you're a person who's not serving in any way... How should you respond? Should you take that little form in your bulletin today that has those general categories of ministry in this church and just say, oh, this message is just really heavy on me today. All right, I'm going to check one of them. Which is the one that's going to require the least amount of my time? Children, oh my word. (laughs) Youth. Don't do that, okay? That form is just in case the Lord and His Spirit is nudging you to gather more information about something. Saying, you know, Lord, I've had, you've called me, some of you, this has been a calling that you've avoided for a while. And you know it. And you see that form and you go, well, there it is again. <laughs> Lord, you keep bringing it up to me. You keep bringing it up to me over and over and over. 
And maybe it's time for you to just say, I need to pursue this a little bit. Check it and put the form in the box back there. I don't know. But I don't want anybody saying, you know, they're trying to get everybody doing this serve thing and I'm not doing it, so I'm going to do my duty and pay my pay for my seat in the building or whatever, whatever your motivation is. I don't know. Because those are servants that are fruitless, to be honest. If you're a person who is serving every chance you get because you think God's going to be happy if you do that, how do you respond? You need to stop doing that. You need to stop trying to impress him because he's not impressed with your efforts. And get alone with him and say, Jesus, you know, I want powerful, spirit-filled ministry in my life. What are you calling me to do? Maybe you're a person that's just underrated serving and felt it was kind of optional. <laughs> How should you respond? I think every one of these, the same response is, know Jesus. <laughs> Get close to him. Look into his word. And how is his word calling to you? How is his word speaking to you? How is the Holy Spirit moving in your life? You're not going to find your calling, your ministry. You're not going to find your purpose for this planet by trying to figure it out apart from him. He will call you to gifts. He will give you the gifts and the calling that he has desires for your life. His gift and his calling may not have the may have anything to do with your abilities or what you think you can do. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you'll get a calling of God to do something you feel totally inadequate to do. And he'll say, I'll be there. I'll empower you. I'll give you what you need when you need it. But I'm scared. Oh, I'll give you faith too. He says that. I'll give you faith to believe that I can do this. I can pull this off in your life. We just got to let it go of some things. Let go of insecurity, fear. Let go of looking at my, what I can do, what I, what I feel like I'm capable of. Because believe you me, God is not looking at what you offer. He's looking at what He offers. And what He can do in you. I just want us to close. If you would just bow your heads and 